0: Well, good morning again. Yes, you guys all got some vegetables. Eat your vegetables so that I don't have to. Yep, because that's the thing. A little bit of squash once in a while. Thanksgiving time. That's enough. We're talking about seeking God again today. You know, we've been talking for a couple weeks about seeking the Lord and the first the first week we we introduced this series and just kind of this concept because some sometimes we don't really talk about seeking God. And I know for a fact that I always used to think that well once you become a Christian, well now you have I said it this morning already once that you know the what do they call it the mystical union, you know I'm in Christ and he's in me, right? There's we're we're joined. Like so how, why should I seek God when I've already got you know, he lives. Where does Jesus live? He lives in my heart, right? You know, I've asked Jesus in my heart, and so He's He's in me. He's the Spirit has filled me. So it's this kind of weird idea of of why why do I need to seek something when I already have something? I already have God. If you're a Christ follower, you already have God. Why do we need to seek Him? It's more of a positioning of our heart to keep pursuing the lover of our souls. It, has anyone ever been in a relationship before? Like a romantic like marriage or, you know, have you ever gone on a date? Yeah. Okay. But you already have the person. Why keep dating? Right? It's the same concept. You're, you're keeping your heart affected towards the other person. All the husbands are getting nudges in the ribs right now. Just keep dating. That's true. You should do that. And so we, the first week, we talked about just an easier way to think about seeking the Lord. Just a simple way is just giving God your attention, giving God your attention, like looking for the Lord to show up in everyday life. Just being aware. Say aware, aware. Being aware being aware. Notice that someone else is in the room, right? God's there with you, and he's able to meet needs and show you things and wants to converse with you. You know, God walked through the garden with Adam, you know, before anything else happened, and they just had this fellowship. God wants to just be with you, be aware, and that's just positioning your heart to seek God. That's just one of the things. We talked in the second week about seeking God earnestly, passionately, eagerly, like making it your heart's desire to seek the Lord, and so we Talk about all that last week. We talked about the difference. And so we we, uh, talked about this verse. And it was this is the verse we used last week. It's the verse we're going to use this week. Josiah, he was king of Israel or king of Judah, I think, and uh, talked about how he uh, he was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed in the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So we talked about that last time. Like he was just, he was a moral king. He did what was right. We should do what was right, correct? Absolutely. He followed the laws of God. He followed the ways of God. He walked in the ways of God. But then something happened. So he was eight years old when he started being king. And then in the eighth year of his reign. So how old is he now? 16. 8 plus 8 is 16. So he started at 8, and then 8 years later, while he was still young, he began to what? Seek the God of his father David. Began to seek the God of his father David. So something was different a few years later, right? 8 years later, uh, he began to seek the God of his father. So he walked in the ways of the Lord, but then he began, while he was walking and while he was doing what was right, he's living a right life. He's doing the right things, right? He's going to church on Sunday. He's putting a little 20 in the offering basket. He's doing the right, you know, he's you know not hanging cats from clotheslines like my cousins did when they were young. You know, he's not doing things like that, right? He's loving the Lord and following in the ways of God. But something changed when he was 16 He said, I'm going to start seeking the Lord. And there was a different attitude, a different action, a different process in his life other than just doing what's right and loving Jesus, you know, pre-Jesus, Old Testament Jesus. Walking with God, he started seeking the Lord. And that, guys, looks different. It looks different. You still love God. You still do the right thing. But when you position in your heart to start seeking him, things start changing. And so that's what we're carrying on today. So we're going to carry on with this verse. We stopped there last time. So then in the 12th year, so a couple more years later, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 34 says this. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them, and he smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones. Think about this process happening in real life. News at 10. King burns the bones of the priests, all right? Like this is a graphic, violent, intense kind of a scene that's happening here. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars, and he purged Judah and Jerusalem. And so the, the verse right before, he... he scattered them over the graves. He desecrated the graves of those. And then in this last couple verses here, in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars of the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. I love that last verse, last sentence. Then he went back to Jerusalem. (laughs) <laughs> this gra- graphic, intense story. And then he went home. I just love, Sometimes the Bible, I just love how, I don't know if it's intentionally humorous or if it's as it's translated into English, if it gets more humorous. But some verses like that, I just kind of chuckle at. Then he went back to Jerusalem. How many of you, how many of you would just, maybe this is a rhetorical question. I don't know. But how many of you would love to see God work in every area of your life? You would just you would just love to see, right? And I don't know how to ask this kind of in the way that I'm sensing. You would love. Do you ever? You don't have to raise your hands for this one. But do you ever feel like maybe there's areas of in your life that you're maybe not seeing progress in, or you're stuck in, or or uh, maybe just do you know what I mean? Like just. I want to see God move in all of my life. I want I want all of my life to experience the grace, the goodness, the mercy, the fruit of God, like every part of my life to experience that. And sometimes we don't always see that. Does that make sense? Am I communicating that well? And but I feel like, and this is a feeling, okay, Christianity is more than a feeling, but my feeling this morning is that since you are not dinglings, since you are people of God, right? <laughs> I feel like the sense that, right, I know, we all are sometimes. The sense that I get is that you guys want that to happen. You want to see God move. You don't, you don't want hangups. You don't want areas of your life that are unaffected by God. You want to see that happen. And so the premise of this message this morning is to hopefully peel back the curtain a little bit on how we can experience God in more of our lives. Would that be a good thing? Anybody agree that that would be a good thing? To experience God, to experience the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God in all areas of your life. I had a moment the other day, just a couple days ago, and I was, I just, I've had a lot of God moments lately. And I had a day where that was less God. It was, God was still showing up, doing things. Man, talk about flesh. You guys, you guys don't have those days. Let me tell me from a, from a person who's not quite there yet. I was I was so rattled. I was just just fired up on the inside. Marnie's trying to calm me down and talk me through and it wasn't even it wasn't even big stuff. It was just dumb stuff. And I just I'm talking to God and I'm like I'm I'm like at level 10 here. I should be like if anything, I should be level 2 like but I just I don't know what was going on just whatever. Didn't get enough sleep or something. I don't know, but it just I found it almost kind of comical. And then I kind of have another pet peeve and I I apologize if this is if this is you, I don't know, whatever. One of my pet peeves is people that come in from east of town and come into the roundabout and don't look. It drives me nuts. I'm like, can't you see the yield sign? <laughs> if you're in the circle, you've got the right of way. It drives me crazy. So I'm, I'm here, and I'm, try- I'm, I'm just being ridiculous. And I'm like, okay. I need to go do something and so i i leave and i get in the roundabout and sure enough wouldn't you know jesus is like hey we'll send this guy at him <laughs> so this old guy comes tooling through there just loving life and does not even look and i lay on the horn <laughs> jesus loves you <laughs> i wonder if i was going anywhere with that story i don't know The point is, often we need to see more of Jesus in more areas of our life, don't we? Yes, or is that just me? okay? All of us. So that's that's the goal of this hopefully shorter message here today after this long introduction, is that we want to hopefully see that as we leave here, we're, we're empowered to see God work in maybe areas of our life that are maybe stunted or maybe not experiencing as much of the glory of God, because this, this series is about seeking the Lord. And so what we find out in the life, in, the, in this principle from King Josiah here, is one. you see, he was walking in the right ways of God, but something shifted, and he started seeking the Lord. And as he began seeking the Lord, guess what happened a few years later? He started tearing down idols. He started smashing up false things so that the true things could land more solidly. And he started doing that throughout the kingdom of God, Right? He started, and we read, you know, Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, Naphtali, the ruins around them. He tore down altars of the Asherah poles. He crushed the idols to powder. Crushed the idols. That's a, just, that's a manly statement. He crushed the idols to powder. Cut to pieces all the incense altars through Israel. Then he went back home. But in the kingdom of God, he started tearing down all these idols. We like those kind of verses. Jesus said you're going to see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is within you. Guess where the idols are at today. We would love to point our fingers at Naphtali and Manasseh and Ephraim. Look at those idols over there. And and are there? Absolutely. But guess what he's given us authority over and dominion over and charge over? The idols that live right here in this heart. So here's the principle. Seeking God exposes idols and empowers you to destroy idols in your life. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Because I'm talking about idols in your heart, you dirty birds. But here's the premise. This message is bathed in grace and invitation and the goodness of God that as idols get torn down, the glory of God starts leaking into more areas of our life. And that, my friends, you guys, trick question. You guys already said yes. You want to see more of that, right? And so do I. So do I. So Tim Keller says this. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Just, I mean, just say ouch already. Just say it's ouch. An idol is more, anything that's more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give, seek, that you seek to give you. I've read, I read that before church, like about 40 times. I'm like, I'm going to mess up that last line because it's, the cadence is weird on it. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Okay, let's look at this. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Oh man. We just start I just mean, this, this is just painful. Like there's no other way around this one than just saying, "Ouch." Like what level of importance are the things in your life? Well, what kind of things? Everything. Here's the deal. Anything can become an idol. I have a friend that uh Christian friend and he went to India, uh but probably about six years ago. It doesn't matter, but a little while back. And he said, and he's, he's a very logical guy. And we, we, uh, we talk about, uh, apologetics and stuff like that quite a bit. And we love kind of reasoning through things. And he's, he's not quite as touchy feely as, you know, kind of a charismatic kind of a thing. And, uh, he went to, he went to India and he said, Kirk, it was, it was so bizarre being in a temple seeing all the idols, seeing the, and they would not call them idols, but God, little gods, seeing the gods that they worship. They all had, they had these little cubby holes. He's like, they were little, little cubby holes and they just, and there's, depending on, like I looked up, there's no solid number, but somewhere between 33 million and 330 million gods in the Hindu religion. And that's, that's just that religion. And so you've got all these little gods that you worship. And he said, he said, I'm going to tell you he said, I'm not really that, you know, he knows who Jesus is and he's in Christ and whatever. He said, but but the darkness that was over the land, he said, you could feel it. And he's like, and, he, and he, you could go in the temples. And so he went in the temple and he, and he watched all this going on and he said, he said it was very unnerving. He said, it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to be standing in the temple, watching the worship, you know, of these little deities or whatever that, you know, our representations of, of the gods. And so, so that's not necessarily what we're talking about today. Most of you don't have a little idol at home that you set up a shrine to it and you burn incense and sacrifice and you setting out grapes and whatever kind of food for your gods to eat. But we do have these idols that want to creep up in our hearts, don't we? That's okay. You can be as tough as you want today. Holy Spirit's going to break through. (laughs) Actually, you guys are really good. But an idol is anything that's more important to you than God. Well, that, I would never do that. I, that would never happen to me. God's the most important thing in my life. Sure he is. You just kind of start doing an evaluation of your life, and you can see really quickly that there's some really important things. Uh, we'll just, we're not, I'm not going to meddle real hard today. It's anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Ooh, this one's a, see, the hard hitting first one just makes you mad. But this one is, it's a little trickier. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And it's really easy for things to capture our, our all of our thinking time, capture the affections of our heart, okay? And the last uh, definition that Tim Keller gives is it's anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Ooh, this one's just nasty. This one doesn't make us mad. This one makes us kind of (laughs) depressed, right? The first definition, Hey, what in your life is more important than God? You kind of bristle at that one. Nothing's more important than God. Am I right? And it's not true because there probably are things. The second one we're like, uh, what am I? What's, what's, what's capturing the affections of my heart? You're like, yeah, I could see there's maybe some things there. Boy, those are kind of sneaky. You get to this last one, and we all do this. We all self-medicate with things, and we're seeking to find peace in things. We're seeking to find love in things. We're seeking to find hope and joy in things that are things that are, you know, <laughs> things that are meant to be enjoyed, but they end up taking the place of God. And it happens so subtly. So for instance, just normal, everyday things. I just just threw three of them up there. So we're just going to hit, just, we're not even going to spend time on these. Just going to give you these these for a reference point. Money, right? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, two masters. No one can serve two masters. Think about what Jesus is saying. No one can serve two masters. Say, well, then we need to get rid of all of our money. No, that's not what he's saying. You need to get rid of the lordship of it. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God, you know, God gives us all kinds of financial advice in the word of God. He doesn't say, don't ever use money because it's pure evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But Jesus is saying, man, here's a simple thing that Jesus used. Hey, Jesus used money. This is not a sermon on these little things. We're not going to get sidetracked on these, but I just wanted to quick, before we went into some other stuff, show you just some simple everyday things. What about this one? Family and reputation. Jesus said in, in Luke 14, 26 and 27, "'If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple.'" It seems like that's pretty clear. Jesus is just this lovey, huggy, right? Just all good it's all good news all the time. It's good news, but there's a, a tough process to get there. And he's not saying that you need to hate your family, but he's saying you need to, in comparison to our hearts chasing after God, it can be no comparison. That's that's what he's saying. Because all three you got to compare scripture to scripture. And all throughout scripture, he's telling us, the he actually, Bible actually says, if you don't, don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel. Like, like you need to love your family and love your kids. You know, love your, husbands love your wife as your own body, right? We see that, but we see Jesus also challenging if your family is gonna become an idol. And what, what about the cross? If you don't carry your cross, well, if I carry a cross, I'm gonna get this reputation of being a, a criminal, because that's what a cross was, man. You, it was humiliation. Jesus is like, are, are you going to be associated with me? I'm not meaning to beat you over the head this morning. It kind of sounds like it. Okay, next one, last one. Actually, sexuality. First Corinthians, six, eighteen to twenty, says, "Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are what? Temples. What do we do in a temple? We worship. We worship." So he's poking at more than just sexual sin here. He's poking at sexuality becoming an an idol, a God that we worship. And we actually talked about this last week or the week before. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? Here's the verse that we love in America right here. You are not your own. And everything you hear in culture today is, I am my own, and I'm going to define my own reality. I'm going to define my own sexuality. I'm going to define my own gender. I'm going to define my own right and wrong. I'm going to define my own whatever it is I think about things. And we find these verses in the Bible that just cut through that and say, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And what, what he's really poking at is, is the idol of it, the, the worship of our sexuality. So, all right, now that everyone's uh, either angry or depressed, <laughs> we're gonna keep moving on. Gospel Transformation on crew.org says a definition of idolatry is anything that we serve, anything that we love, anything we desire, trust, fear, and worship apart from God to give us love, joy, peace, anything that we trust and fear and worship to give us freedom or status or identity, anything that we serve or love or desire that gives us control or happiness, security, fulfillment, health, pleasure, significance, acceptance, and respect. Well, I think we all need to... Just lay down for a little bit after that, right? Man. What gives you identity? Don't say it out loud. What what in your life gives you security? Where do you find your fulfillment? Your health, pleasure, your significance, your acceptance? When we go solely to those things outside of God, those things then become idols in our life those things then become idols in our life everyone take a breath okay we can do this it's not all this bad this is good this is good news all right first john first john has 5 chapters at the end of the 5 chapters there's this little treatise here we're going to read two paragraphs and there's three we knows john says we know 3 times say we know we know. All right. So he's going to just kind of solidify. He's closing out the five chapters of 1 John, and this is the end. We're reading the very end of 1 John. And so we start with the we, first we know. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. So Jesus keeps us safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. So he's saying, all right, guys, remember, we just went through this whole letter, the whole letter of 1 John, and he's like, we know We know that if you're born of God, you don't keep on sinning. That's one thing we know. So he's just kind of setting these parameters. Here's what we know, all right? Let's sum this all up. What do we know? We know that if you're born of God, you don't keep sinning. Jesus is going to keep you safe from the evil one. He's going to help you to walk out this God life. You can't do it on your own, but you can do it with the power of God in you. So you don't purposely keep on sinning. Here's the next one. We know that we're children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one he's saying listen we know that there's a dark world out there we know that don't be shocked and don't do what i do sometimes i can't believe that they're doing like we know we know that there's a devil out there and he's controlling and manipulating things and john 2000 years ago writing this he's going we know that we get it but we also know that we're children of god Take heart. Sometimes we get more caught up in the devil's controlling the world than we do in the we're children of God. But he's saying, Hey, we know we're children of God. Just relax. It's all right. Take a breath. We get it. There's evil out there. But he already said in the verse before, the one who is born of God keeps them safe. The evil one can't harm them. Then he goes back and he's like, We're children of God. And the whole world is under control of evil. The last we know. Here we go. Verses 20 and 21. We know that the Son of God has come and give us understanding. This is a participation verse, okay? I've highlighted your parts gently in red and underlined them. So you guys chime in when we get to those parts, if you can see and read along with us. We know that also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, understanding, so that we may know him who is... And we are in him who is by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the God and eternal life. You think he's trying to emphasize something there? John, John's like, we know what is true, all right? We know that if you're a Christian, you're gonna not try to live intentionally in sin. And we know Jesus is gonna protect you. He's gonna help you. You're not left alone on this. He's gonna help you, because you can't, you're pretty much gonna fail at everything you try, okay? We know that, at least me. Jesus knows I need him a lot, right? as referenced by the earlier story, right? And we also know that there's a big, bad devil out there, right? John's like, just don't be shocked by that. There's a devil that's going to try to trick you. He's going to try to overpower you, but he can't because Jesus protects us. As long as you keep your heart seeking the Lord, you're good. You're golden. Keep that heart soft in seeking Jesus. And then he finishes up with, we know that so that we might know, we know that we might know. <laughs> funny. That we might know him who is true and we're him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God. All of these other things in our life that will promise us hope, all these things that promise us joy, all these things that promise us safety, all these things that promise us identity, all these things that promise us peace, all these things that promise us happiness, all these things that promise us love, they're not true. And that's what John is just punctuating this with. You gotta find the true thing if you really wanna walk in life. You gotta find him who's true. Keep seeking him who's true. And then the funniest sentence, I always got a kick out of this because I didn't quite get it in context. Now it makes sense. But the last sentence here Dear children, keep yourself from idols. That's the end of the chapter. That's it. That's the end of the, bo- that's the, end of the book. He's got this, he's going, we know, and blah, blah, and we know, blah, 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 and we know, blah, blah. Hey, keep yourself from idols. Why does he punct... And he ends the whole book there. Five chapters ended with that sentence. That's how the book of 1 John ends. It's, there's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 1 John has five chapters. The rest of them, I think, only have one, but they're short. And he says, uh, I don't know, doesn't remember. Uh, five chapters, he ends it with, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Why is he so... Why does he throw that in at the end? It's almost like he put the pen down or the feather, quill, or whatever he was writing with, He put it down, and he's like, you know what's going to throw him off? We're like, we know, we know, we know, and everyone's chanting, we know, because he read these letters in front of the church, right? And I bet, and I don't have any biblical proof of this, but I bet they were like, we know, we know. And they're all excited. We know that we're children of God. We know we're not continuing in sin. We know devil's bad. He's going to try to trick us. We know, but we know Jesus keeps us safe. We know, we know, we know. And he's all excited. And he's like, puts his pen down. He's like, that's good stuff. That's good. That's really good. He's like, oh man, the idols. I forgot to remind him about the idols. (laughs) And I feel like John's like, and I don't think it really happened, but it feels like, it feels like John's like, I need to just like, I need to just remind him one more time because it's so easy for our hearts to chase after idols. Like, they're going to want to serve God. I don't think that there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't want to serve God. At least that's what I'm preaching from that perspective. If this was a different crowd, I would preach a different slant on this message. But I think you want to serve God. And I think John's like, oh, guys, the idols. I forgot about, like just be really careful about the idols because they're going to want to creep into your heart. So Stephen Cole says this. John tells us, speaking about this passage, tells us to guard ourselves from idols, which implies that we have something valuable that the enemy is trying to steal, guys. If a man has a box and he's not sure what's in it, he's not going to be very careful about guarding it. But if he knows that it contains a rare and valuable treasure, he'll be diligent to guard it carefully. If you know that the true the true God and his son Jesus, you have a treasure. Guard it so that you don't drift into one of the many forms of idolatry. Here's how he ends that verse in a couple different versions. So he's, he said, keep yourself from idols. And in the CSB, he says, little children, guard yourself from idols. In NLT, it says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Hmm. Whew. Are you still with me? Are you still alive? Is anyone bleeding too profusely? I should have handed out Band-Aids at the beginning of this. But Jesus is the cure. He'll heal you. It's so good. Our daily bread. I've got two quotes from our daily bread today. The little little booklet. Do you guys do you guys take the our daily breads? Anyone read the our daily breads? We have those on that table there, and I think in the back there. If you guys just need a quick little devotion, those are so good. Our church gets them delivered here, and they're free for you every three months. They're handed out, and we know so many people that just tuck them in their Bible or have them with them in their back pocket or in their truck or whatever. And they just, all the time, I'm hearing, yep, the Daily Bread this morning, the devotion was on such and such or whatever. So this says, Daily Bread says, idolatry is still a danger to the people of God, though it isn't always so open or obvious idols are usually more subtle and they're hard to detect for they set up their home in the hidden places of our heart. So you don't start out being like, man, I'm going to worship this relationship with my new girlfriend, right? You don't start out going, I'm going to worship, you know, getting fit and physical and being proud that, and those are good things. That's, that's the tricky part is that idols often are good things that God ordains. They're often good things, but they end up taking a wrong place. They're not always bad things. They're often not bad things. They're often good things, but they become evil because they get elevated in our own hearts. They don't, it's like the money thing. Like the money isn't evil, but if you're serving money, that's evil. And so it's a good thing that gets in a wrong spot. I've got a cousin, her name is Jolene. She lives in Millbank. And I just, I was a little older than Jolene, so we didn't hang out a ton. I hung out with her brother Paul and her brother Brad. And so I just remember at Grandma Snaz's one time, and I don't, I feel like she said it all the time. She probably said it like once. But I remember one time she came in and she kind of got, I don't know, tricked on something or, you know, brothers, maybe, anyone ever had a brother that pulled a fast one on you? Yeah, or, (laughs) yeah or an uncle or cousin. And anyways, so I think, I think they probably kind of tricked her a little bit. And I just remember she was, I don't know, I don't remember, four or five, six, seven. And I just remember she comes running in, and she's like, ooh, pretty sneaky, Fred. She said that line, and that has stuck with me. So that would have been, yeah, whatever that was, 48 years ago. The number of times in my life that the phrase, pretty sneaky, it's popped into my head, thousands upon thousands of, whenever, I'm like, ooh, pretty sneaky, Fred. (laughs) And I don't even know what it was from or what it it was about, where she came up with it. I have no idea. Like I said, it probably was just once, but it just stuck in my head. And idols, pretty sneaky, Fred. When we find that thing that I thought was a good thing, and it started out being a good thing, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts putting the nudge on, going, that's got a, a wrong spot in your life. Hmm. Um, anyone have a flat-screen TV? Nobody. OK, a couple of you. You're not going to answer, because you're like, he's just going to talk about my idol now. <laughs> I'm not. This is just an illustration. This is just an illustration. Calm down. Just relax. Anyone have a TV? Okay. (laughs) TVs are great. Ours hangs up on our fireplace. What if we're like, man, this TV would be really awesome if it was in the front yard. And we just stuck it out in the front yard. That'd be great for, you know, maybe like a day or two until the dew gets in it. And then the rainstorm comes, and then the family of turkeys that are walking around our yard <laughs> run into it, knock it over. Here's what I'm saying. TV's not a bad thing. That's just not the right spot for it. It it's, it's loses its function when it's out of place. And when these good things in our life get in a place where we inadvertently and accidentally and without intention most times end up honoring and worshiping them, Jesus is like, hey, don't do that. And so a lot of times it's like this, <laughs> right? Like, It's something trying to convince us that it's something else, right? It's, it's something in disguise. And the subtle voice, the still small voice of all these things, I don't care what it is, because anything could become an idol when it gets elevated to that wrong spot in our life. It just whispers, I've got so much peace for you. Come on in. I've got so much joy for you. I've got, there's so much promise that I have for your life. Just give your attention to me, right? And that's what idols do. Sneaky Fred. (laughs) Ah, We're going to call him Fred. Pretty sneaky, Fred. And Fred is in every one of your guys' hearts right now. I promise that unless you're vigilant and diligent about stripping out idols out of your life, which most of us are not, there's probably a Fred or two in there that is making claims and promises for your life that you're believing, and it's just not true. And it doesn't mean that that Fred's always a bad guy. That Fred looks, I don't know, he's sketchy. But often Fred's not bad, he's just in the wrong spot. He stepped over, we've got a thing at home, uh Callie, she still does it. When I get up, and I go to the kitchen to get a cookie or something. Uh, you know, it's usually a healthy thing. i just kidding. No, it's a cookie. When I go to get a cookie or something, and I get out of my chair, guess what Callie does? She sprints over to my chair. She says, my spot. <laughs> and so since she's been old enough to talk, I say, get out of my spot. And she giggles, my spot. <laughs> get out of my spot. Right? And that's what idols do we've got this throne of our hearts that's meant for the Lord to sit on. You know, and we get distracted for a second and Fred runs in, my spot. And sometimes we don't even notice. Sometimes it's so subtle, we don't even notice the shift. And now I'm worshiping an idol. But if I asked you that, you'd be like, dear God, no, no, I'm not. And you would, you would pass every lie detector test. I, I'm not, I don't. Oh, and it would break your heart and that's my message today. Big Fred is sneaky and he wants to, my spot. And God's like, get out of my spot. And Fred's like, my spot. And it's up to us to notice that and kick Fred out of there. Patrick Morley says this, we, need, we, we each need to know the limit of our ability to handle nice things. Hold on. Just pause on that for a second before we go on. Reread that first line with me again. We each need to know the limit of our ability to handle nice things. Any nice thing, a possession like a car or an affiliation like a country club, can become an idol. When grateful enjoyment of a thing becomes blind devotion to the thing itself, the roots of idolatry find moist, fertile soil. Yuck. That's painful. Crew.org, they say, idolatry serves whatever it can, apart from God, to gain that which only God can give. Idolatry is looking for our love and affection and attention. One more, our daily bread. And then we have one more quote, and we're done. Any possession or person we put our hope in to bring us fulfillment, any goal or aspiration that becomes more important to us than God, these are the, quote, gods that attract our allegiance and subtly control our lives. So I asked at the beginning of this, how many of you want to want to see areas of your, like every area of your life affected by the grace and love and mercy of Jesus? And I would just challenge you today that any of the parts of your life, if I would start listing off and naming things, remember the the three definitions of Tim Keller? If I would just start listing off things that are more important, I saw it with the TV. Man, you guys aren't even gonna raise your hand, not even talking about this anymore. Like we get angry and I would just, I would submit to you that anywhere that you're getting defensive in your heart right now about something that might be an idol, that's an area that's been void of the flow and the grace of Jesus in your heart and life. And that could be a source of stuckness for you. And so if we just like lower our defenses and invite the Holy Spirit in, say, Jesus, what, where are, like it's a scary prayer. I got, like I've been praying it this week as I've been in preparation for this. Man, it just, it just creeps me out. <laughs> like, Jesus, show me where the, I gotta understand. It's not for the purpose of smashing you over the head. It's for the purpose of opening up areas in your life that God can move. Because when you're worshiping an idol, guess what, you're not worshiping. Right when that idol has that spot in your heart, then you're not giving that part to Jesus, and it can be anything from a TV show to a relationship to a food to like you, as many as much imagination as we can come up and just list things in the world. It could be anything, and this is not to be a downer. It's a, it's a means to invite you to experience the greater grace of God and the goodness of Jesus in more areas of your life than you ever thought possible. And often these are good things. They just need to just bring the TV in from the front yard and hang it back up in the house. Unless TV's your idol, then just shut it off. (laughs) You know what I mean? But like whatever that idol is, get it in its right spot. Right? I love that, you know, when we do our pre-marriage counseling or whatever... We always talk about, and we, we've talked to our kids about this, how Jesus is more important than each other. And there was a flicker of a few seconds, probably a few weeks, probably a few months, in my life when I was a little jealous of God that Marnie would love Jesus more than me. And because we're, we're human. And it just, it only takes a microsecond to figure out no. I want the person in my life that I'm the most vulnerable with, that I've laid all my cards on the table with, that I, that I am intimate with emotionally and mentally, physically, I want that person to love Jesus more than me. But it's really easy for something like that to become an idol. Well, no, this is the most important thing in my life. And we need to always have Jesus in that number one spot because then everything else works right. Everything else is in its right spot then. Or if it's not, it's easy to get it there. As long as the throne of our heart, as long as Jesus sits there, then, those, then we can get the idols down from their throne and in the right spot in their life. Last slide, we're done. The difference between trusting in idols and trusting in Jesus is like the difference between drinking seawater and drinking fresh water. Salt water never quenches your thirst, while fresh water satisfied, satisfies. Idols will always be salt water to a person's soul. Only Jesus is the living water that quenches our thirst. Only Jesus is the. Hey guys, there was a, there was a left hook and a right jab and right some rock 'em sock 'em words here today. But done in the spirit of I am so for you guys. I love you guys and God is so for you and wants to invite you into such a rich and deep relationship that if we're willing, and I think you are, I'm just going to say I think you are. I wouldn't be preaching this to you. I think you are willing to take a gander at the throne inside there and see who's in my spot. See where Fred is. (laughs) Give Fred Buddha. Fred's not always evil. He's just in the wrong spot. And that makes it evil. We just need to get, get the things back where the things are supposed to be and lean on Jesus for our strength. Lean on Jesus for our hope. Lean on Jesus for our trust. Lean on Jesus for our fulfillment. Anything else that gets in that seat, hey, get out of my spot, right? It's God's spot. Amen? Are you still with me? <laughs> okay. We're done. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this great group of people who are willing to say yes today and have you search their hearts. And we just pray, God, that collectively this morning. Uh, let's just stand up as, as I'm praying. Let's just finish today standing up. God, I just pray as we're just standing in your presence, Lord, if there's if there's something that's out of place in our lives, Lord, I just pray right now that you would just put your finger on it. Lord, not to, not to condemn us, not to beat us up, but to show us that that's in the wrong spot. And that you want to have that spot. And because life is richer and better and fuller when Jesus is in the main spot. And we just pray that you would expose our own idols to to us so we can see them. But we're so often blind to that. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you nudge our hearts. And then we know that none of this can happen without your grace. We need your grace to help us to to boot out the idols, to send Fred packing, and uh, to have our hearts fully surrendered to you as we seek you in Jesus' name. Everyone said Amen. amen.